welcome to Cornerstone. Um, let me just say this. We had, a, we had a good week for Cornerstone this last week. Um, just let me say this as, as one of the shepherds here. For all of you that dove in to make this happen, thank you so much. I mean, it, yeah, seriously, thank you. It, it took me forever to, like, build and design this stuff, but that was my kind no. of... <laughs> I'm kidding. It wasn't me. Just, it was a great week. Uh, all the kiddos here and just uh, the, the, the different people that played roles reminded me that, man, I love this church. And so just uh, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. One of the things that we did this week, though, was to try our best to introduce kids in a unique way to who Jesus is. And one of the things I think that's no different about what we're going to try to do this morning is, is that I hope if you know Jesus Christ today... I hope you get a grand new perspective on God as we open up his word. And if you don't know Jesus today, today's the day I pray that you know who Jesus is and you choose to follow him. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And uh, then we're going to have a phenomenal Sunday with kiddos in here. And it, uh, it'll be awesome. Jesus, thank you for this week. We praise you for it. We praise you for everything that you did in and through each person's life. Thank you for the way that it impacted my life and my understanding of you and I just pray right now as we open up your word, then we look at the life of Jonah, that, Father, we would uh, start to get a grander picture of who you are and who we are and, and how you view this amazing world that you've created. So we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right. Well, if you need a Bible, um, there are some Bibles. Actually, a couple of people are getting up right now. If you need one, we'd love to be able to get you one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take it. It is uh, our gift to you. But one of the things we do on a regular basis when we gather together is we open up God's Word just to find out what is God teaching us. I believe the same trail that was for the Nagi people, we need the same trail. We need it cut for us, and we need to know God in a, in a greater and greater way. But what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been looking at this topic called, Can I Get a Witness?, and in studying this idea of can I get a witness, let me just go back to this because this is a theme that I want us to really wrestle with and try to understand, is I think at the core, one of our, three of our greatest problems are number one, we don't understand God like we need to understand God. We don't understand ourselves like we need to understand ourselves. And we don't understand people like we need to understand people. And I think this is exactly what we were talking about when we talked about this idea of truly setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. That we are not only needing to understand who God is and who we are, but then the second aspect is how it then plays itself out into this world. Now, one of the things I was wrestling through is, okay, where do we go after we do a series on Can I Get a Witness? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to choose somebody from the Bible that's the worst possible witness that could be. And so we're going to talk about Jonah today. We're going to spend a few weeks on him because I thought maybe if we can get an idea of who we're not supposed to be, that we will get an understanding of then what we are supposed to be. Now, most of you in here, if you've grown up around the church at all, you know Jonah. And generally we say it's Jonah and the whale. Actually, it's Jonah and the fish. We know it as a fish. It was, that's who he was. And even if probably you aren't around church, you know this, that you've probably heard something about this Jonah guy. And so we're going to take a look at him in his life. Now, here's the thing that I hope for everybody in here. It is an incredible miracle that a man gets thrown overboard of a ship. He ends up in a giant fish, gets vomited back up onto shore and goes and preaches a message. That's an incredible miracle. But I think what's so cool about the book of Jonah is not just the miracle, but I think what God is trying to teach us not only about Jonah, but more importantly, here's what I hope we, get, we grasp. 
I think that the way Jonah's written has caused us to ask the question, am I like Jonah? And so what we're going to do over these next few weeks is really try to get at this idea, am I Jonah? And maybe, maybe if you don't know Jesus, you can ask the question, am I like the sailors or am I like the Ninevites? We're going to really try to use this book in the way that I think it was written to get us to try to really look at this. Now, I think there's two things in this storyline that we're going to have to understand. So kind of try to get this into our minds. One is this. It's a story about Jonah. Now, anybody that's ever studied it knows he is not a happy camper. All along the way, this guy, and I'll just say it this way. I always tell my kids when they wake up in the morning, they've had a bad day. I will sniff and I will go, somebody's got poopy pants. And that's what I'll tell to say, you need to get in a better mood. Now, I think this is what Jonah has all the way through. He's upset with God. He can't stand that God loves his enemies. We're going to talk about that. These group of people that have hurt him and hurt the Israelites incredibly. And what we're going to now see, though, is that God, though, has something bigger in mind, which is a message of good news, just the wideness of his love and his mercy, listen, even towards his enemies. So that's where we're going to kind of try to go. That's where everything's going to hang on. That's what we're going to try to kind of understand about God, about ourselves, and about people. But let's kind of try to wrap an idea of, or our minds around the idea then of what's this book of Jonah all about? Well, Jonah was written in a, in a unique time. It was kind of as the, the kingdoms were kind of in this turmoil and getting ready to split apart. And in, in this time period, there's this guy named Jeroboam II. Now, no big deal, but he was just a really, really bad king of Israel. And in this book, it's a prophecy. Now, most prophecies, when you read through the, the Bible, you see that it's mainly a word of God to a prophet, and he's supposed to tell the people of Israel. The book of Jonah actually isn't really about his message because the message that Jonah preaches is five words long in Hebrew. And really all he says to the people when he comes in is he just says, look, 40 days until you all are overthrown. That's all he says. So it's not so much about the message, but about actually the man. And so what we're going to do in looking at this particular guy is we're not only going to look at him, but we're going to start to, again, like I said, reflect on us. Now, this guy, Jonah, and we don't have a picture of him, but this is the best I could do. He was the guy that God was going to send. He was a prophet. Like I said, he goes off to this guy, Jeroboam II, who is reigning at this particular, he's reigning during this time. And we know that not only was he reigning during this time, but in giving a testimony, he actually told Jeroboam, he was a prophet, and said, look, you're going to take back the northern kingdom of Israel. He said that in 2 Kings. But along came another guy, and this isn't really Amos, but we're just using a face to represent Amos. And Amos comes along and eventually says, no, actually, you're going to lose this whole thing back. And so in an interesting way, we're starting to kind of understand this Jonah guy is a little bit, and pun intended, fishy. You like that? You like that? Yeah, get used to it. There's a lot more coming over the next few weeks. But there's something wrong with this guy. It's written in such a way, again, to reflect on him, where the first chapter, we're going to look at these salty sailors. Now, if you know anything about sailors, sailors today and sailors then weren't exactly the, the best people, the best people of repute inside of a society. But the other guy that we're going to look at is the Israel, their great enemy, specifically this kingdom of Nineveh, which had greatly hurt them. Now, the thing about these two groups that we look at, they're going to repent but by the time we get to Jonah in chapter 2, we're going to see that he's going to kind of, sort of, have this prayer of repentance. He's definitely thankful, but really at the end of the day, he's, he's, he's just kind of like going, okay, God, yeah, I'm busted. Thankful that you saved me, and I'll kind of do what you want to do. 
Then by the time we get to chapter 4, we see he's upset with God for being merciful towards his enemies. And so we see this contrast that the people that should be these ones that are totally rebellious against God, totally against who he is, are the ones that actually end up worshiping God and repenting. And Jonah, the man of God, and it's almost like irony, the guy that should be the man of God is the one that God is chasing after because that's not the one that's following him. I think the other thing to understand is, is that when we talk about this particular book, it's written in kind of a unique style. Now, this word satire, okay, let me throw this out there. So kids, explain this to your parents here in just a second, all right, what satire is. But it's the use of humor. There's going to be humor inside of this we're going to talk about. There's irony, like I've already talked about. He exaggerates some different things that kind of almost let us know, man, Jonah, you didn't even get the fact that, man, the animals even could, could have died in that. So we're going to talk about that. He's even going to use ridicule in different ways to kind of expose and and kind of the idea is to criticize people's ignorance or vices to kind of reflect on us. But particularly what he's going to do is he's going to grab people that we understand, especially the people reading it. They would have gone, oh, I know these people. And so satire today, they'll grab like Donald Trump or they used to grab President Obama and they do satire. It was this whole way of kind of using a story and it's a true story about a true prophet that was alive and true king's but it's to let us know that there's just something not right here. Well, the story, like it says, it begins with this guy named Jonah. Now, he's supposed to go. We find this out. And if you look down in your Bible in chapter 1, verse 2, he's supposed to actually go now to this group of people called the Ninevites, and he's supposed to preach against their evil. Now, Jonah never tells us at this particular time what was the evil that was taking place. We're not told that this was the the reality of what is going on. But we do know that there was something that had caught God's attention in who these Ninevites were. And he looks at Jonah and he says, look, I want you to go. Now, Nineveh at this time was the capital city. It was the place in which the uh, the Assyrians had their capital. It was the place in which government all flowed out of. But the thing about this particular group of people is they were started by this. Oh, shoot. I did something wrong. It was supposed to be funny. Now it's not. All right, Nineveh. There we go, Nineveh. (laughs) It was started by a guy. You ready for this? Never name your child what I'm about ready to say to you. Nimrod. Remember he used to say that as a kid, don't be a Nimrod? Well, there he is. Good looking man. But Nimrod was the guy that started this whole place. Nineveh was a, a city that was, or, that was known to have, be a warrior people, a group of people that used to take advantage of the people that they were conquered, do terrible, awful, evil things to them. And we also know that in this particular place in the world, that all the different kingdoms that came through there, the one group of people that kept getting hit by these different ones were the Israelites. So what we know is that this city that Jonah was supposed to go to was terrible in their eyes. There was something about them that God says, look, I want you to go and I want you to tell them your evil has gotten so great. Now when Jonah, he got the call, this is what God says to him. Look at verse 2. I want you to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you, look at this word, to call out against it, he says, for their evil has come up before me. I don't want you to show up in the city. I want you to actually go through the city, and I want you to tell them what I'm about ready to tell you. Now, the thing that Jonah decides, though, is that, look at verse 3. I don't think so, God. Now, again, here's the irony. You ready for this? The man of God, who should have gone where God has called him to go, turns around and he goes the opposite direction, 
And you can see on this, Nineveh's over there on the right side. Tarshish is on the left side. He said, God, I'm going in the complete opposite direction. Now, again, the person reading this is going, what? This God that you say you love, and you're going to do the exact opposite of it. Now, what's so cool about it is, is that Jonah, in trying to go the opposite direction, just happens to find a boat. Now, let me just stop for a second. I've always had people tell me it must be the will of God because this is like an answer God has given for me. Or this is something, can you believe this? God gave me this house. God gave me this card. God gave me this. Listen to me. God does give us things, but Satan is never afraid to give us something to take us away from the will of God. So he begins and he jumps on the boat. As he gets on the boat, the first thing we find out that he does, think about this, is it says that he fell asleep. He goes down into the boat and he crashes thinking, life is good, I'm going to Tarshish. Now little did he know though, above deck, all the sailors who are up top, they run into this terrible storm because God is going to wake Jonah up. Now he sits down there sleeping. The guys are trying to figure out what's going on. They're understanding that this must be divine because they understand that some kind of a God is causing all of these terrible things to take place. And they begin to cry out to their gods. And then they did what most people did at this particular time. When they couldn't figure out the reason, they then started to cast lots. It's just kind of a unique way of throwing the dice. And guess who the dice landed on? Jonah. They go down to him and they were like, what in the world? Who are you? Now here's the irony again. Jonah says to them, well, I'm Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. My God is the God of the sea and the dry land. The sailors sit there and look at him and you know what they're thinking. What? You mean to tell us that God is your God and he told you to go to Nineveh and instead you get on a boat and you go the other way. It makes absolutely zero sense to them, which it should make to the reader. In other words, this whole book of Jonah is getting this idea. It makes no sense to go against the will of God. Well, they try everything they can to row against the ship and they're against the storm. It talks about the fact even, and you know it's bad, when sailors are scared on a boat, like if you went whale watching and all of a sudden all the people running the boat get scared, be very afraid. They start throwing their goods overboard. That's how afraid they are. They're like, we're going to do everything we can. And they asked Jonah at one point, what are we going to do to be saved? And he says to them, well, throw me overboard. Now, on one level, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what a phenomenal dude. He's going to sacrifice himself so that these people can live not so fast. Later on, Jonah, we're going to find out, has a death wish. He's constantly saying to God, just kill me, just kill me, just kill me. In a weird way, what he's doing is not being a hero. He's saying, I don't want to have to do this. Why don't you just kill me? Because I don't have the guts to kill myself. Now, whatever the motive, the dude's finally scared to death, and they say to God, I know he's telling us to put his blood on our hands, but please don't count his blood against us. And they took Jonah, and it says in there, they threw him overboard. Now, we all know what happens next. As soon as he hits the water, everything goes calm. Now, on one level, now just, just for a second, Put yourself back there. Like, you know those dudes when the, he hit the water and everything goes, 
They didn't go, yay. In fact, it says they began to just worship God. Now, in the past, we've always talked about, you know, if, if you don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. The thing I love is that God can even use a terrible witness like Jonah and cause people to respond and worship God. But the man of God ran, but now all of a sudden we find these pagans totally worshiping God. Now, here's what I love where the book goes next. Jonah, as he's sinking, is probably in the back of his head, you know, in one level going good. I got out of going to Nineveh. Everything is cool. And along comes this great giant fish. It says the Lord, look at this word, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. What? This was supposed to be over. And here he is in some way sitting in the belly of a fish. And God's saying to him, if need be, Jonah, I will get a fish. I will appoint him and I will put him there. You can't run from me. Now, Jonah does what most people do, right? When all of a sudden we're kind of trapped, all of a sudden we find out that he prayed. You know, when everything kind of gets bad, we all have this weird tendency to go, God, 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 thank you for saving me. And you know, I'll do anything that you ask me to do. But the one thing he never does is he actually never really kind of repents. He's just like thankful, which is good, but he does what so many people do when we are sometimes in these bad spots, suddenly we are thankful for God. Well, then Jonah, in the midst of all of it, gets down there, and then the thing that we learn at the very end of it is finally Jonah goes, you know, God, you know that whole Nineveh thing? I think I'm ready to go. And God goes, I thought so. Black. <laughs> and up on shore. Now, at this moment, again, the reader is sitting there going, who is this cat? He's the guy that is supposed to be the man of God, this one that God has chosen, and he keeps in this weird way. Is this guy ever going to get a clue? And chapter 3, finally God says to him again, I want you to be able to go to these people, and I want you to preach to them. And Jonah says, okay, this time I'll go. Now here's Jonah's message. Now I've oftentimes thought to myself, if I'm going to go into Nineveh and I've got a message from God, this is probably what I'm not going to say. 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all he said. In Hebrew, literally, it is five words. You can't tell it very well, but there's literally five words up here. That's his message. Now, we all know what happens. These people eventually repent, and, and, they, they, and they, they actually fall down. They put themselves in sackcloth and ashes. But again, we're sitting there going, oh, Jonah finally got it. Man, this Jonah dude, man, oh, we're so thankful he finally got it. But I think we're missing something in this message. You know how we have this tendency to live this like bottom line Christianity? We don't want to go too far, so we're going to find the bottom line. And he gives them five words. He never once mentions God. He never once mentions this idea that somehow what they need to repent for or even what they're supposed to do with this God. He just says five words. And in a very interesting way, I think what he was doing is still sitting there loathing these people, hoping if I give them a minimal message, maybe they won't believe and God will still destroy them. This guy, Jonah, if you think about it, he's not exactly the poster boy of those who follow Jesus, or those who follow God. Now, we know that eventually the people of Nineveh, they believed God. Now, this is crazy. 
They didn't just believe God, but the, the ruler of Nineveh at this time, we're not exactly sure who it was. There was a guy that was the king, and then he had a son. And so we don't know exactly who this guy was, but he doesn't just repent. He doesn't even go bottom line like Noah does. And again, you got to think this. Here's Jonah operating in a bottom line. I'm just going to tell him this kind of stuff. This guy now goes overboard, and he calls a fast, telling his whole kingdom, no one is supposed to eat. I want you to put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. I want you to put it on the old people down to the very babies. And it says they even put sackcloth and ashes on top of the cows. It's almost like, what do we have to do in any way to appease the anger of this God? We're willing to do anything the opposite of Jonah. Now, what's interesting about this is this little word overthrown. Now, just let me talk to you about this for a second. In Jonah's message, he says this word overthrown, and this word can mean this idea in which God is going to destroy a city. There's definitely that case for it. I think that's the way it's used most times within the Old Testament. But there's another way in which this word is used, which can mean to cause change or make different. God did overthrow Nineveh, but he did it in a whole new way. When they repented, God changed See, he was learning something. We're learning something. Remember I told you we're going to learn about God, we're going to learn about ourselves, and we're going to learn about people. Is One of the things about God is our God definitely does have an anger against the rebellion of people against him. And if you're somebody sitting here today that doesn't know Jesus, you need to understand this. That right now the Bible talks about that you, you're at enmity with God. There's, a, there's God's wrath still on you. This is why Jesus came. He came to, to, to satisfy the wrath of God. But why? Because God loves to give mercy. And God turned away his wrath from this group of people. And in love and in grace towards them, they didn't experience the fury of a God <clears throat> against people who've rebelled against them. They ran into a God who's merciful and gracious. Jonah came and preached overthrow and had no clue that his message, which was a bottom line message, ended up being the very thing that caused these people to be overthrown, overthrown in a way in which they were changed. Now, if chapter three ended there, it'd be so cool. We'd be like, yay, way to go, Jonah. You're the best. Chapter four. Jonah realizes they're repenting, and it says he stomps out of the city, sulking, upset with God, going out. And in his head, he's thinking, maybe they will in some way repent of their repentance. Maybe in some way they'll go the other way, and somehow God will still destroy them. He goes out there, and this is God's message to him. Jonah, why are you so angry? Jonah doesn't answer him, and he kind of stomps off, and it says he goes and he builds this shelter. He builds a shelter outside the city gates, and it's hot there. And God not being done with Jonah. Remember I said that we're not only going to learn something about God, but we're going to learn something about ourselves. We're going to learn something about Jonah. God was, had done his work with the people of Nineveh, but now he's going to teach Jonah something. In fact, he causes this viney plant, or a, a plant, a shady plant, to grow up, and it probably was covering in some way his shelter. And all of a sudden, Jonah, when the heat was gone, he's like, ah. Oh. I will just sit here, and now God has given me shade to watch the fireworks. Thank you, God. He sits there and says, throughout the night, though, God sends a worm. And I love this, God going, he's just sitting there, and Jonah's like on the table, and God's about ready to go, whoom. It says that worm ate at it. The tree died. Jonah wakes up the next day, 
the shade is gone. And what does he say to God? Remember I told you he has a death wish? Just kill me. Just kill me, God. I would much rather you die. God, I knew that in some way, and he quotes out of the book of Exodus, I knew you would have loving kindness towards those who repented. I knew you were this way, almost like in a weird way, telling God, see, I told you so. That's what I'm frustrated with you about. How could you love these people like this? Don't you understand who they are? And I love what God says. Why are you so angry? What does Jonah say? Kill me. The last words of Jonah. Just kill me. I'm glad that the last words weren't Jonah's words. Because what we find out is that Jonah sat there and soul, God had words for him. One of the things that he said to Jonah was, Jonah, I'm going to teach you about this plant that grew up over you. I gave you that plant it provided shade. And you loved the plant so much. But yet I was about ready to kill hundreds of thousands of people, men, women, children. And then even this whole idea of exaggeration, I told you this earlier, satire. I was even going to kill the cows, Jonah. And it didn't even bother you. Remember I said we're going to learn something about God and we're learn something about Jonah? But one of the other things is, is God has a massive heart for people. See, the whole story of Jonah is what I told you about. It's not only his mercy, but he's teaching us something about his mercy towards people. See, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, this is what I want you to know. Our God is a God of mercy, a God of loving kindness. All the way through it, this God has created humanity that desires for us to know him and love him and walk with him. But between us now is rebellion, and that's why later on in the Bible it talks about why Jesus came is to, to open that, what we talked about with our kids, this pathway to God so that we might know him, that there's no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. He's the only way that we can know him. He is merciful and loving, kind and gracious. And you don't want to, in the end of it, run into a God and not see one who overthrows your life and causes change. But the Bible promises there's an overthrow to come, and we talked about that in the book of Revelation. You don't want to run into God at that point. Now, it ends so abruptly, but why? I've always wondered, why does it just end right there? It seems like he built up the tension, and the story was at its climax, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what's the resolution? The whole point of the resolution, I believe, of the book of Jonah is to ask this question now. In light of what you've just read, who are you? Who are you? What do you understand about who God is? What do you understand about who you are? What do you understand about who people are? He's trying to cause us to think, because maybe we don't hate a group of people, but I would say the biggest problem in the church in the United States today when it comes to our world is not so much that we hate them, but we don't really care about them. See, we sometimes, I feel like, we'll sit on that rock outside of the city gates going, well, you know, God's going to wholly destroy this world. Thanks to be them. All the mile, we have the greatest message ever of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ is the pathway to God. And so it's going to force us over these next few weeks, and I can't wait to do it, is to start to ask the question, who are we? But I think the last thing I just want to finish with, because I've seen a lot of people that aren't normally here, let me just say this to you. 
I don't know if you're like the sailors or like the Ninevites, but I would say this. It's not 40 days and then Nineveh's destroyed. It's that right now you have a God that's reaching out to you, that's calling to you, desiring to know you, and desiring that you would know him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I'll just say this. We would love to share with you more about how it is that you can encounter this God that we're going to be looking at in Jonah. So come back over the next few weeks. Our kids won't be here. I'm sorry. Love to have you. But please come back because I really believe this is a message that the church needs to hear today because I think we're a lot more like Jonah than we like to even think about. Amen? <laughs> yeah, sure, Todd. Amen? <laughs> all right, all right. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that our kiddos got to be in here. Father, I pray for Cornerstone. Would we not be Jonah? Father, would we be a different church? Would we be a church that understands you in the fullness of who you are? You are a God that's holy and other and set apart. The one who sits with righteous anger. But Father, I'm so thankful that you're also a God of mercy and love. In sending your son, Jesus, we are so thankful. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, today be the day that they encounter. Would your Holy Spirit do that work? We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.